Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Catholic Connect podcast. I'm so glad that you tracked us down here. I hope you're having a blessed day wherever you may be in the Universal Church. Well, Dr. Ryan Topping comes to drop by and talk about a fantastic book that he's written today. And we're going to start with a great quote from a saint that's going to get some airtime today. And here's how it goes. Dear Lord, shine through me and be so in me that every soul I come in contact with may feel your presence in my soul. Let me thus praise you in the way you love best by shining on those around me. End quote from the great St. John Henry Newman. And again, he's going to get some airtime today. We talk a lot about this great saint and uh, the namesake of which is shared by our Theological College here in Edmonton, where I'm based out of our Archdiocese of Edmonton, Newman Theological College. And one of the great professors there is Ryan Topping. He's joining us to talk about a great book and a timely book to reach out to those, they call them the nons, N-O-N-E-S, those that have really fallen away from the church, have no affiliation with the church. And in my observation from the nons, especially from a lot of young people, a lot of them are falling away Catholics. It'd be nice to get to the bottom of that and find out exactly what's going on there. Now, we referred to St. John Henry Newman and his quote there. I love that. By shining on those around me, uh, shining the, the love of Jesus Christ on others. The only way we can do that is by living in a state of grace, by going to confession often. And we talk about that on the podcast all the time. And in order for our prayers and our works to be efficacious to the maximum, we have to live life in a state of grace in order for others to see that light shining through us, the light of Jesus Christ and the gospel. It's such an exciting time to be a Catholic. It really is. And we have so many great saints to give us these lessons. And we have so many great brothers and sisters in Christ that are doing some great work in the church. So without further ado, let's get to this chat with Dr. Ryan Topping, and we'll see you on the other side of the interview, my friends. Well, praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever, Dr. Ryan Topping holds a doctorate in theology from the University of Oxford, and he's a professor of theology and serves as director of the Benedict XVI Institute for the New Evangelization at Newman Theological College right here in Edmonton, Alberta. And he's also the author of several books, including his latest, Thinking as Though God Exists, Newman on Evangelizing the Nuns. It's great to have you back on the Catholic Connect podcast, Ryan. Welcome. Thank you, David. Thank you for having me. And thanks for your good work that you're doing through this podcast. Oh, praise God. All, all, all good things that happen, whether it's a podcast, whether it's uh, books, family, it all comes from the Lord, right, Ryan? So it's, it's great to call you a brother in Christ and, and have you on. Mm. And uh, I was thinking maybe we're going to have to talk to another friend of our podcast, Dr. Jason West, about uh, the future of Dr. Ryan Topping teaching a course at NTC on time management, maybe time management 101. I don't know, but you've got like 10 books. You've got 10 kids. You're still doing all kinds of work at the college there. So I don't know where you find the time for this, but actually before I, uh, uh, we started recording, I was telling my wife, Teresa, I was like, you know what? I just didn't have enough time for breakfast today. I didn't eat unless like, this is not good that I'm saying this because Ryan is a guy I could learn a lot of uh, time management lessons in here. I'm not even having time to eat properly, but <laughs> it's great to have you again, Ryan. Um, Lots of interesting stuff going on. You've got this this book. I really appreciate you uh, um, making arrangements for me to to read it, and I've really enjoyed it a lot. There's a lot of good stuff going on there. So um, first, let's talk a little bit about that. Why did you feel the need to write this particular book about, uh, and it's obviously got a lot of references to uh, the great St. John Henry Newman. And uh, yeah, why release it right now? What was the the motivation behind this particular book? This was a COVID project. And uh, like so many other projects, right? Exactly. Exactly. So (laughs) life shut down. And the college here at that time, it really comes out of the life of the college. The college uh, is named after Newman. He's our namesake and our patron. And so we had wanted to uh, deliver a new course. We wanted to have a conference, which was planned and, and, and promote the thought of Newman. So uh, this was in the works, and then at that moment, the um, uh, COVID came, so we had to cancel the conference. But I didn't want to put off the book, and uh, really, this was this was personally for me a way of saying thank you to to Newman. We're Catholic converts, and when we lived in England, when I was when I was pursuing my doctorate, 
uh, at one point we took a pilgrimage to Rome just prior to converting. We were intellectually more or less won over, but emotionally we weren't. Our, our hang-up was, how is it possible to raise a family in the Catholic Church? We didn't know any Catholics at the time, uh, really, uh, and yet we wanted, we were relatively newly married. We wanted to have children. We grew up in, uh, in, in a happy Protestant environment, that is, we went to youth groups and these kinds of things. Um, and uh, so at that moment, we were there for John Paul's funeral, and during this retreat that we had in Rome, um, I was reading, uh, we were both reading Newman's little book on his conversion called the Apologia Pro Vita Sua, you know, a, a defense of, of his life. Um, a few months later, then, I had a retreat, a personal retreat at Newman's farm, just outside of Oxford. And there, there's there's a group of sisters who live there called Sisters of Der Werk, uh, sister, Sisters of the Work. And uh, so Newman's chapel is there, his library is there, and I was able to spend a few days reading and meditating and, and writing, basically, on um, uh, considering what God wanted from us, and also in the light of Newman's own, own life. So this was a, a small way of saying thank you to Newman for his, uh, for his part in our conversion. Oh, that's, that's, uh, that's wonderful. That's so great. I didn't, uh, didn't realize that there was that connection with Newman and actually going through, so, so did you say that was on a farm of some sort, right? That's right. There's a, there's a small little town or it's a, it's a village really just outside of Oxford where, uh, it's called Littlemore where Newman uh -huh. himself went away uh, on a retreat as he left the church of England around 1845. And there he was, um, attempting to live a, a kind of monastic life. Um, he knew he couldn't be a public clergyman anymore, but he was in that middle point, you know, you know, when you're, um, but before the two sides of the magnet meet, you know, there's this electric tension. That's what Newman was living through when he took up this, this residence. Um, so it's, it's a place of pilgrimage and it's a place of, uh, quiet and, uh, you know, devotion really for those who, who those who have been touched by Newman, uh, it's, it's a great place to be. When I think about um, uh, his conversion to the Catholic Church, uh, a, a lot of, um, I guess, the sort of the, the premise around him coming into the church was his project was actually to debunk some of the the um, the arguments of Catholicism, was it not, Ryan? And uh, through his study of, of history and the church, that's when he came into the, the Catholic Church. But I was thinking, you know, it must have been very difficult for him because he was a, a high-ranking uh, member of the clergy at that time in the Church of England uh, as an Anglican. Um, what are some of the parallels that that you would have experienced? Because you were married, uh, you know, uh, at least in the plans of having a, a, a family, and you're um, going to Oxford. You're in the process of conversion. Mm -hmm. But what was that like for you, uh, just personally, when you made that decision, uh, you and your wife, to to enter the Catholic Church? Mm. There's a there's a price to pay for that, you know. I mean, I'm sure you're already you know convinced, like you said, in your heart and in your head, eventually as well, mm. what you're doing was right. But there is a price to pay for for people like you, isn't there, Ryan? Well, uh, I don't have some kind of Muslim family, uh, so thankfully we didn't <laughs> we weren't fearing for life and limb. Uh, sure, sure, yeah. Mennonites were one of the groups that were were quite severely suppressed for a time in the 16th century Reformation. Um, something like 6,000 judicial deaths took place during the Reformation, which is a lot, but actually uh, in, during the French Revolution, there were more executions in one month than in the entire Inquisition of the Roman Catholic Church. So, um, uh, so, so the the idea that it's difficult, um, you know, this this the idea that uh, what am I saying there? Um, well, in our own history, when we when we came into the church, then one of our omas started crying immediately. Oma is just the German name for for grandmother. Um, you know, and her first question was, "What are you doing? They killed us. How how could you do this?" And so, you know that that. That touches the heart a little bit. Uh, Oma has just passed away, and, and she was a very saintly woman. Never entered the full fullness of the church, but she certainly had a close relationship with the Lord. Um, the one one of the wonderful things about the Catholic Church is it's a big pond, and so I think thinking of Newman 
in the 19th century, he, he was really at the top of the intellectual hierarchy in, in England. He wasn't a high-ranking mm -hmm. cleric so much. He was a, he was a priest, okay. but he wasn't a bishop. But, you know, he didn't have particular authority that way. It, it was purely the magnetism of his personality and the sharpness of his mind. So at Oxford, he was one of these professors that young people um, followed around. And uh, he, he was gaining such a, he would, he would give these homilies at one point at St. Mary's, which is uh, the, the main church in the high street in Oxford, um, the beautiful medieval church, where, you know, all these young people are attracted to him. And, and he gave these long homilies Sunday afternoons. Well, he was, he was so enticing that some of the, the the fellows at the other colleges actually rearranged the the scheduling for the communal life so that young people couldn't attend his lectures because he was stealing too many of them away mm. <laughs> from uh, from Anglicanism. Now he himself uh, was the head, uh, one of three people who were the head of something called the Oxford Movement, or that sometimes are referred to as the Tractarians. <clears throat> Excuse me. So uh, at the time of Newman's conversion, he was. He was at the forefront of this of this thrust within the Anglican Church to make it more Catholic. People didn't think of it as being Catholic, but uh, they they wanted a more robust experience of the liturgy. They wanted to go back to the the biblical and patristic roots of of Christian life. They knew that after the Enlightenment, the Anglican experience had grown cold. <clears throat> Pardon me. So Newman was was uh, part of this movement that was uh, helping the Anglican Church in England to be. Um, to look a lot more medieval than it ever had, or at least than it had for the last 200 years or so. On the intellectual side, as I say, he, he's reviving at this moment a, a study to the fathers. This is going to be a theme in the Second Vatican Council, where the, 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 the Church Universal calls us all to return back to the sources of our faith, ad fontes, resourcement. Newman is ahead of the time. You know, he's, he's about a, a century ahead of where the Catholic Church as a whole is going to go here on this matter. At this time in England, last comment I'll make here, uh, Catholicism was something that you knew existed, but you didn't encounter. So there, there was a, uh, a significant wave of Irish immigration at this time. And, and the Irish who were coming over, they were all, um, they were all, relatively impoverished they were the washerwoman the cook uh th these are people who had the lowest jobs in, in society so you you might think a parallel in the united states would be um especially a generation ago you know uh the how how mexicans were viewed in uh you know in, in let's say most parts of america and it's just what whoever's the, the the next wave of people who are trying to make a new life in this country that's that's what catholics were in in uh, England at the time, it, it was an obscure religious phenomenon of the past. People knew of it in theory, but had no contact in practice. When Newman converted, it acted as a um, it, it was a bit like a an earthquake. Everything shifted. All of a sudden, you you had to take Catholicism seriously, and he initiated. I'll stop with this. Something called the um, the Catholic literary revival. There are several waves of converts then that come out uh, uh, because of Newman's influence. There's several, there's several names there, right? Uh, was G.K. Chesterton one of them as exactly, well? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, the Anglican Church at the time was probably a lot different than what we would see today, right, Ryan? I mean, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I grew up with, uh, you know, just in, in the local community, of, uh, seeing Anglicans, you know, I already see uh, women clergy, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a little jarring for a young guy like me that was grew up as a Catholic and mm -hmm. only seen a, a Roman collar on men before. Mm -hmm. So, but I think that, uh, it, and so, I don't know, and I don't want mean to pick on, on, uh, the Church of England, Anglicans, uh, I guess Episcopalians, I guess what they would call mm -hmm. them in the U.S., right, Ryan, for our American listeners. Mm -hmm. But uh, it seemed like back then that Anglican church actually had uh, more of a liturgy that looked a little bit more like the Catholic church. Would, would that be fair to say? Mm -hmm. right. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's because of Newman's influence in large measure uh, that this um, that high Anglicanism as a phenomenon uh has teeth and is Newman's not the only one interested in this project but he's the one that makes it coherent and and popularizes it really um 
The Anglican Church used to be something. It's rendered itself functionally irrelevant as a, mm -hmm. as a global Christian movement. And Newman saw this coming already in 1845. He's got a, a line where he says, religion without orthodoxy, without dogma, is as the heat of a corpse, true for a time, but sure to fail. Nice line, isn't it? <laughs> and his, his meaning there is that, well, you can you might be able to retain the forms of Christianity while you might be able to re retain its liturgical patterns, perhaps even some of its, its moral teachings and, and doctrines. And yet, if you've covered your, if you've severed yourself from its life-giving impulses, and for him he's meaning here orthodoxy, and orthodoxy is communicated uh, and, and guarded really by the papacy and the magisterium of the church, once you separate, your, separate yourself from this past and from this living tradition, then um, you can survive in some fashion, in some way, for some time, but not forever. And he saw that coming already in 1845. It didn't really, um, yeah, the Anglican Church, I mean, my wife and I, I'll, I'll say this, we, as we were moving toward Catholicism, we had a couple of years, about two years, where we are, are, were deeply indebted to a, a particular Anglican parish in Winnipeg, uh, in particular. And that parish, they, they would sing Palestrina, and they would... Um, you know, sing sumptuous music from the from the Catholic Renaissance. The preaching was divine. The the, the best preaching I've ever heard. Um, I more or less still to this day. Although I have heard a few very fine Catholic preachers. Uh, the the fate of the Anglican Church is really a, a, a kind of a prescient or clarifying image of the whole of modern culture, where you have you have these good fruits that have been developed and cultivated over centuries of Christian influence, but because they've been cut off from the life-giving wells of that source, uh, they can't, they have no way to relate to each other anymore. So for example, the concept of human rights, <clears throat> golly, isn't that a nice idea? Sure it is. It's a political concept that was, that was fashioned in the forge of seven centuries of Christian thinking, bang, bang, bang. It's a way of drawing from Christian anthropology and making a term that's serviceable for the uh, use of political discourse. Now you you, really, you don't really want to touch it anymore. You know, human rights are the currency that we trade in, but the currency has been devaluated. It's been, um, you might say, blown up. So human rights are now uh, argued for or used in the service of things like killing your your grandparents or killing your babies in the womb. Mm. The Anglican Church, excuse me, <laughs> suffered a, a kind of similar fate where they, um, uh, you know, through the second half of the 20th century, uh, you know, there, there was real uh, hope and promise that there would be um, significant, um, there, was, there was hope that there could be a reunion, especially around the time of the 1960s. Uh, Paul VI. Um, once you hit 1990, you've got women being or ordained. Now the Orthodox are not, not going to join with you, and, and there was no way that a uh, Roman Catholic Anglican rapprochement could happen. Uh, and it's just gotten worse. It's a sad, it's a sad story. The Anglican Church was the glue uh, that bound together our country and English-speaking Canada, at least. Look at our architecture, any small town you, you drive through. If you see a beautiful Gothic church, it might be Presbyterian, it might be United. Uh, it's not going to be Catholic, it's probably going to be Anglican. So we have a lot to be grateful for. There is, there's much good that, that was communicated. But um, Newman's view would be that, you know, unfortunately, they've, they've turned their back on the wellsprings of life. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a great point you make too, Ryan, about churches in small towns you see in Alberta as well. And I know there was a story several stories recently, especially after this uh, time of the virus. Mm -hmm. uh, not only did the uh, the virus hit uh, Catholic congregations hard, but also Protestant congregations as well. Mm -hmm. And some of these uh, these uh, older churches that uh, had, you know, beautiful architecture, mm -hmm. like you said, even the Catholic, you certainly got to give them the 
some points for architecture and then they're being converted into houses or apartments and it's it's sad to see uh you know so pope benedict the 16th god rest his soul uh just a i think that history will see that this was a, a giant in the church um and of course he's passed away only a few months ago but i wanted to to ask you about his legacy and how it relates to to saint john henry newman here as well because he was the, the pope that uh that uh, they canonized him, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, made him the same. That was in 2009, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and then, of course, I think one of the the big um, one of the big things that that, uh, that Pope Benedict did was opening the door to Anglicans. I guess maybe some more of these high church Anglicans for them to have an entry into the Catholic Church through that Anglican ordinariate. Mm-hmm. I know those communities aren't necessarily uh, huge and uh, in great number in Canada, mm-hmm. but in certain places in the world, including the United States, mm-hmm. there is uh, some pretty significant communities that are belonging to that Anglican ordinariate that are now in the Catholic Church. We have we have a, a community, as you know, here in Edmonton as well and down in Calgary, which is a, a real blessing to the church. But yeah, where do you think that mm-hmm. fits into Pope Benedict's legacy and his connection to Newman and to the Anglican uh, ordinariate and those those high Anglicans that have come into the church. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting question. Catholic thinking moves from cosmology through to anthropology, and at the beginning of all things, as Saint John tells us, is the logos, the uh, creative reason. I sometimes like to shock people or you know, students uh, by telling them, you know, if you translated. If you um, pick up a little Greek and you translate the first bit of John's gospel, another way you could translate that first verse or render it is, in the beginning was rationality, was reason. This is a theme that both Newman and Benedict uh, were deeply attracted to. Now, in the beginning is reason, and um, what Newman and Benedict were both interested in is rescuing the west rescuing the west from itself itself as it turned its back on reason and rationality now sometimes benedict is called the 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 philosopher pope um and i suppose for this reason newman and benedict are also deeply interested in not only countering secularism and countering the uh, the shriveled notion of rationality that we've taken on since the Enlightenment. Uh, they're also deeply interested in history. So Newman is the one that revives the study of the Church Fathers, in the certainly in the Anglo world, but that spreads to France as well and and uh, elsewhere. Um, Benedict too, <clears throat> uh, as as you know, he wrote his doctorate on on Saint Bonaventure and Bonaventure's view of history. So this dialectic. There's a dialectic that that goes on uh, in in reality and also is is picked up in the thought of these two giants of the modern church. That is the dialectic between universal timeless reason and the way that that uh, divine rationality and and providence really is worked out through time and through history. Uh, So I'd say these are two themes that that unite these two. Benedict at one point says that, that Newman uh humans deeply influential uh to the thought of ben of himself so it's it's not accidental that people link these two thinkers of our age mm-hmm. i want to go to the book here too ryan and uh, there's a great quote here it says there can be quote there can be no medium in true philosophy between atheism and catholicism and i thought that was interesting mm-hmm. you know it's uh it's either one of the two camps of course is that another uh great giant in the church uh, venerable bishop sheen would say you know there's there's the two camps the camp of of light and of jesus christ and the camp of darkness and of satan mm-hmm. of course we see that in scripture as well but uh, but you see this you know particularly in the public space politics even people's workplaces mm-hmm. uh, you know the standard is to go uh, you can't bring your christian faith into your workplace into politics mm-hmm. um, but we see countless moral relativists these secularists mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them, most of them are atheists themselves, pushing this ideology constantly in the public space. So mm-hmm. I guess where do we go from here? You know, we've, we've lost a lot of ground mm-hmm. in that public space, right, Ryan? So how do we claim uh, that 
ground back that we've lost? Mm, well, that's a that's a juicy question. I wish I, I wish I knew the answer to that. <laughs> How, but you know, it's a struggle, right, Ryan? For a lot of people that work in a secular work yeah. environment, uh, it's I I count myself in that as well. It's um, there's these uh, you know have these new things out, uh, you know, the sustainability ESG, they ESG, call it, right? they call. Uh, these certain, yeah. <laughs> and these indexes, uh, uh, that, I don't know, is it CGI or I can't even remember oh. what these indexes are called, uh, but basically diversity and inclusion yeah. and those kind of things, um, not rooted in, in scripture or in Catholicism, mm. Christianity at all, but they sure put a lot of pressure on people to mm. take the knee to those causes. Don't they, Ryan? Absolutely. Well, and, uh, and it's happened a lot in the last few years. And it's, um, yeah, and it, it just feels like we've lost ground that we used to have, mm -hmm. you know, where we could, um, and I don't know if it's it's because companies say, well, you know, we've got to take on these, you know, different charitable causes or at least that virtue signaling to make it look like we're doing something productive outside of making, making money. lots of money. Yeah. yeah. And, I, would, uh, I would just and, focus on making money. That would be, that's enough. Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, and I think that uh, actually, you know what, uh, profit and uh, and uh, making or being good stewards of what we have is is a Catholic principle, is it not, Ryan? Sure but it is, yeah. They go beyond that, but maybe that where that ground was lost, Ryan. Mm -hmm. If this makes sense, is as the church, the influence of the Catholic Church, especially in the West, has decreased. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when we've seen the numbers of even just tithing into our local parishes mm -hmm. to Catholic charities has gone down. Um, you know, I don't want to age myself too much. Everybody, I'm not that old, but I was born in a Catholic hospital called Immaculata Hospital in Westlock. Mm. And even though they did have doctors and nurses there, the the dirty work, if I may say, was done by nuns mm. that were not getting paid at all to do that, right? Mm. It was their vocation. Mm -hmm. And boy, that's a foreign term for, for people nowadays, especially in healthcare. Uh, not everybody, but some. Um, but yeah, that that ground that's been lost Ryan um, in the public space, especially does Newman have some, some words of encouragement or some, uh, some guideposts to give us. He does. He does. Yeah. No, that's good. Well, well, a lot of good thoughts there you're raising. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, woke. Well, there's a dialectic in history and here's, here's one feature of it. Uh, Plato describes this in, in his Republic, Newman talks about it in various places. Uh, so there's a dialectic that goes on in the natural level and the supernatural level. Let's start with the natural. So within societies, democracies, in terms of the type of regime that we inhabit, is the one Plato says that that moves closest towards, um, it's always shuttling between tyranny and anarchy. Okay? So e equality and freedom are the two principles of justice that are uh, that are uh, articulated within democracies, good principles, but the 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 weakness inherent within our our system, or at least uh, potentially, is that as freedom expands expands, then stability ri rises. Okay, so the more that the more that freedom is unmoored from some kind of moral framework, well, the more you bash into each other, just to put it crassly. And the more that that happens, violence increases. Like, do you really want to go to Vancouver downtown anymore, or even Edmonton downtown, ten o'clock at night? Let alone Seattle or you know a dozen a dozen other big cities in the United States. Probably not. This has increased because of COVID, but it's it's not uh, attributable to COVID. To COVID, um, the number one reason why people die before the age of fifty now is not because of heart attacks, this, that, the other. It's because of um, what, what they term deaths by despair. This means alcohol, drug, or other kinds of uh, abuse. Now, why is that? As, as, the, uh, as chaos increases, eventually people ask themselves that question. This, this was going on during the, the, the first 40 years of the century in Europe. Europe. Europe had rejected God philosophically, but they were living off of the the, the cultural inheritance that uh, and the forms and patterns of Christian life that had been bequeathed to them. Uh, you can only do that for so long, and then the, the piggy bank runs out, and eventually you start seeing the consequences of what it does look like to uh, to reject truth, to re reject the idea of a moral law, 
and it's not pretty. So what happens is as chaos, as as um, the fabric of social life unwinds, uh, there's there's a tolerance, there's a limit to that, and at some point you you call in the strong man. Now the the election of Trump a cycle ago would be one phenomenon of that, where you know someone who really wouldn't have been electable eight years prior all of a sudden becomes a new Cyrus. Uh, I'm refer- referencing the Old Testament there. Yeah. He's he's someone who's who's capable of um, uh, proposing persuasively why it is that we need order. And, and you're willing to give up almost anything for it. I was, uh, anyways. Um, so th- this is something that happens in the natural level. You know, think of Napoleon after the French Revolution. Um, you just repeat the pattern endlessly. So, oh, are we headed towards that? Absolutely, of course we are. You know, like, look, if you if you can um, if you can call a boy a girl, and and if you get enough people to start blinking that way, like, what's uh i've got you know we've got real estate for you in florida like come come on you're you're willing to to buy anything of course people most people don't believe it they they go along with it because we're afraid and we're afraid because our jobs are on the line we're we're afraid because we've got social media mobs that can ruin your reputation tomorrow these things are worth uh attending to and and, you know it's um it's reasonable to have an element of of fear uh given given the climate so on the natural level, this is going on. Are you know is the equity, diversity, inclusion cult going to last forever? Absolutely not. Of course it won't. It's premised upon confused and contradictory ideas. Um, they are faux and substitute realities for subsidiarity and for um, uh, concepts like charity and um, uh, fraternity within the Catholic world. And so it, they're they're trying to touch a truth, but but it's but it's premised on a lie. It's premised on materialism, as though diversity is only can only be understood in material ways. So if you've got the right body parts, the right skin color, etc. We used to reject this. This is called racism or sexism, mm. and now we've taken it on as the you know, public public philosophy on the supernatural level. Newman has much to say here. Um, being a great student of history, as he was, he wrote. Um, uh, he wrote quite a few books, 20,000 20, letters uh, included. He was, a, he was a, uh, one of the greatest historians of his age. He kind of matched Hegel on that front and is dealing with similar problems. Uh, Hegel is the source of progressivism as a philosophy mm-hmm. in, in modern culture. So when people talk about being progressives, while well, they're drawing on ideas from this 19th century uh, Protestant philosopher, Hegel. So Newman's taking on uh he's deeply interested in history and one of the things you learn about history once you study it uh and are attentive to to catholic history is that the anchor we've got goes deep you know the 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 waves and the wind may rise but the church isn't going to be overthrown um this is one of the difficulties that young catholics find old ones too but young ones especially where they want to be traditional or they want to they want to keep their faith and yet they see all these crazy things going on in the church. They see their parish falling apart. These are distressing signs, and they are. But Newman's counsel would be take heart. You've got one, the promise of divine revelation that says the church will conquer the gates of hell. Two, you, you've like, look, things are things are bad, but golly, they've been badder many times before. <laughs> <laughs> And that is true, right, Ryan? It, it it has been has been worse. Actually, I was glad that you mentioned Cyrus and Donald Trump there. That's an interesting parallel. I think there's a lot of lessons we can learn from the Old Testament as well, Ryan. As and uh, we had a recent episode where we talked about a little bit about the lives of Elijah and Elisha, mm-hmm. and uh, where the Israelites were at that time. It was a pretty dark place mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that the Jewish people were in at that time too. And but God always, you know, brings forth. Uh, prophets and uh, and those to to help his people uh, come back to the truth. One of the chapters in the book was uh, um, that you uh, that you have was dedicated to the three myths of secularism, mm-hmm. and I really quite enjoyed this one. One of those myths to tie into what you're saying about you know young people and what they're seeing mm-hmm. and what they're getting bombarded with is that science and faith are in conflict mm-hmm. with each other. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, what we've seen over the last three years, of course, probably, you know, I don't know how many bumper stickers from, you know, the far left that, that are out there that say, follow the science, right? And uh, whereas, you know, maybe we should insert political science in that, right. or maybe you just take science out and go follow the money. Yeah, there you go. But uh, we're seeing that a lot too, where the the society says that the church and Christ can't coexist with them because the science doesn't agree with, you know, some, you know, mythical person, mythical God, sure. or, you know, in outer space or whatever. Right. But the science is pretty, well, I mean, God is the author of all things that are scientific. Mm -hmm. And I think he allows us over the centuries and over time to, to very gradually reveal mm -hmm. the, uh, the magnificence of who he is, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we're, how do we, come to our young people and I shouldn't even say young people it's really all Catholics because we all get these challenges from you know various people in our lives whether that's our coworkers or even family members and just society at, at large is how we can reconcile with science but if we look throughout history Ryan we can see that Catholicism and science um, they just fit like a like a hand in the glove mm -hmm. I mean really they, they really do mm -hmm. so yeah what are some things there that we can combat or use to, to combat this this, sure. uh, this secular sure. message that we hear all yeah, the time. Good. Well, when, when sociologists ask nuns, nuns being N-O-N-E-S, those who declare they have no religion. In Canada, it's about 33% now. When you ask uh, mm -hmm. people under 30, it's more like 40%. But interestingly, <clears throat> those who are um, 30 and down and who are still Catholic, they're twice as likely to go to mass week monthly as are their grandparents who are, are uh, claimed to be Catholic. So anyways, in other words, what's going on now is you've got this, um, you know, polarization within polarization even. So far fewer people are identifying as religious. You know, the rise of the nuns, that was the great uh, newsworthy topic in the study of religion and popular culture about 10 years ago. And that, that trend is only uh, continuing. Uh, so you've got the rise of the nuns, Fewer people are religious, but those who are, are more intensely so. Uh, and, and hence within the church also, there's a, there's often, a, uh, unfortunately, a, an opportunity to miss one another where you've got, you know, people 30 down, they're interested, they want to go ho whole hog, they, they, they want the smells and bells, they want the full-blooded tradition and uh, because it's that or nothing. It's that or nihilism. That's how they feel it. Whereas older Catholics um, grew up, you know, in your example, which was a, a beautiful example, they typically grew up in something like a coherent Christian, if not Catholic culture, where faith was easy and there were social rewards that went along with self-identifying with Jesus Christ. Um, and so a lot of uh, older Catholics, or, you know, proportionally, um, as they moved through the baby boomer experience, became a little more comfortable with what you might call a beige Catholicism. Um, nonetheless, that, that was just a prelude. When you, when you ask these nuns, you ask young people who have no religious attachment, why are you not religious? Uh, among the most important reasons they give or the most common reasons they say as well, because it's irrational and because faith contradicts science. So yeah, this is a topic worth taking up. And this is a top. Sometimes people say reason doesn't bring people to faith. Well, yeah, of course it, it doesn't exactly. But neither did uh, neither did bombers win the beachhead at Normandy in 1944. You know, of, of course D-Day wasn't won by the bombers, but golly, uh, it wouldn't have worked without them. <laughs> I think reason has a similar place in my experience, at least. Uh, reason has a similar argument, has a similar role in the conversion of souls. Yeah, of course, nobody comes, strictly speaking, because of a syllogism. But but what, what argument can do is it can clear away the brush, the, the, the shrubbery that's clouding our vision, that's making it uh, just that much more difficult to take faith seriously. So a lot of young people have been argued out of the faith. We need to argue them back in. Be confident. And, and don't shy away. Don't think this is something private or you have to be, you know, sorry about it. Like, golly, like no one's been thinking more about thinking than the Roman Catholic Church. We've got the most glorious intellectual tradition on offer. So on the science question, well, yeah, like two things. One is historically, 
isn't it isn't it an interesting fact to consider that to consider that uh, a multitude uh, almost all of the founders of the sciences were either Catholic or or committed Christians mm -hmm. and you can just rattle them up like you know like Mendel who uh, like modern genetics Mendel um, you think of Lemaitre he's the he's the other he's Belgium belgian priest who's a co-founder of the big bang theory you just mm -hmm. you just keep going pascal um okay so one there's this historical fact that that should cause some cognitive dissonance if you think if you believe in the clash between faith and religion how did all these other great scientists up until yesterday uh happily uh, in fact find deep inspiration uh because of their religious belief in fact the, the second question why is it that the West got the rise of modern science when older civilizations like the Chinese in particular uh, uh, didn't? You know, why, why didn't India produce the first great scientists? Why didn't uh, North Africa, so Egypt, um, why not the Aztecs? You know, why is it only this little dot, this insignificant corner of the, uh, of the globe? Well, the reason, I mean, people have studied this. It's not, this is not, um, you know, when you get into it, this is not hidden or, or even difficult to figure out. Uh, two, two reasons or three reasons for the, the reason why the West produces science and, and brings it to a perfection. It, it later comes to a kind of perversion. We're seeing the perversion of it now, but uh, three reasons. One is you've got Greek philosophy. So the Greeks are interested in truth, not opinion. So you say rock has a spirit. Okay, fine. Uh, prove it. You know, the, the Greeks weren't ever content to let their myths lie merely at the level of the imagination. Then you've also got the Christian contribution. And what's that? The Christians are interested in a divinity that is rational. In the beginning was divine reason, was the word, was rationality itself. The heart of our revelation is this uh, is this belief, and it's also it's revealed, but it's also something you can argue to, that um, at the core of all things is rational love. It's not chaos. And whereas the other great religious systems aren't sure about that. That is to say, outside of Islam and Judaism, it, it's it's either unclear, um, or in fact, positively, you've got um, you've got a conflict. You've got a, a dualism between chaos. I think of Hinduism. Uh, you, you've got competing gods, and it's not clear which one is is actually um, the one that we should have our hearts attached to, because one is good and one is evil. But um, but how do you really know <laughs> what good and evil is? Mm -hmm. Thinking of the Dhammapada, uh, important to Buddhist text. Okay, and the third is the papacy. So you've got this one, this Greek passion for truth that clarifies and, 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 and doesn't rest. Secondly, you've got this theological trust in the compatibility of faith and reason. Why? Because God is rational. So at the core of the universe, you've got logos. But then third, you need something to bring these things together, and that's the papacy. Um, the concept of, of, religion, or of uh, intellectual freedom, freedom of thought, libertas scholastica, where does it come from in the West? It doesn't come from the 18th century. It's not an Enlightenment concept. It's not the uh, you know civil light, civil rights league in in, in Canada, Canada or the U.S. It's from a papal document uh, at the uh, time of the founding of the universities, which starts around 1200. So it's this idea that um, human reason needs needs an element of protection from politics so that it can freely pursue the truth. Before Galileo, astronomy is already called the Jesuit science because the Jesuits were looking at the stars for uh, for a very long time before Galileo developed his own uh, his own theories and his own um, his own telescope. So anyways, yeah, there are plenty of reasons. It's really just, I'd say, motivating people to to um, helping them find experience a little bit of cognitive dissonance. And then if you scratch a wee little bit, it's difficult to it's difficult to maintain that thesis that faith and and science clash.
um, because the, the evidence for the contrary is overwhelming. At a practical level too, Ryan, isn't it, um, isn't it interesting how even St. Augustine said that sin dulls the intellect or darkens the intellect and that how many of us, uh, how many Catholics and, and you know, myself included, I want to go to confession more often. Well, why? Because when we live life in a state of grace, it really opens up our intellect mm -hmm. and our mind to, to what God wants to reveal to us. Mm -hmm. Right. Ryan, I think that at a practical level, uh, and I, I know Newman has a lot to say about forming a good conscience, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's so important, especially, uh, again, it's, it's for all people, not just young people, but it's when you're a young person, you're going to school, you know, high school or college, that's a, you know, a critical time to, to really form our intellect, to understand the difference between truly what is good and evil, uh, you know, not virtue signaling and virtue doing or anything like that, or vice doing like most people do nowadays. But, um, yeah, at a practical level, what would you say to people to encourage them to um, to form a, a good conscience? What are some steps that, mm -hmm. that we can take? Again, Newman has a lot to say about that. Yeah. You, you cover that a little bit in the book as well. But uh, yeah, what are your thoughts? I on think that, two right? things. One is, you know, ask, ask how it is if I want to learn how to be a good hockey player, what do I do? Well, you go find other people who are good hockey players. You go hang out mm -hmm. with them. So if you want to have a well-formed conscience, uh, this is this is from Aristotle as well. You go find people who whom you think have well-formed consciences. Um, uh, light begets light, as darkness begets darkness. So, first of all, find communities which are interested in excellence, and then and and spend time with them. Do things together. So, families to families. Find find co-ops if you're a homeschooler. If you're in a, a public or other school system find interested parents that that care of other parents that care about what's going on in the school don't don't ex, don't accept uh what's being hand fed to them and take an active interest get on the uh get on the school board so first of all find friends that are interested in the virtuous life and then and then there's a there's a critical mass that we need secondly um uh i, I think one of the best ways that we can form ourselves now is is by starting reading groups together. You know, it's one thing to watch YouTube videos, listen to podcasts, even though David Scoobins is is the best one around. Uh, listen to mine, then do your your group. Exactly. Uh, listen listen to this first. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. Yeah, no problem. No problem. <laughs> for that endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> but for every hour, think of it this way. You know, every hour that you spend on social media or every half hour, try to match that by reading a book. Reading reading a book that's going to form your mind and cultivate your your affections uh re really there's no sh there's no uh, easy way to become a well-formed catholic except by putting in the hard work and, and that's just because that's that's true of everything else if you want to be a good piano player well golly you have to practice your scales so get together with other friends make it enjoyable get get the wine out and uh, have a good time at it read it read a papal encyclical or read some classical literature and then talk about it how does it relate to your life third thing is get to know that that book called the catechism it's it's a um it's a beautiful guide to faith or start with the compendium which is which is a, a tenth of its size you know there just are facts to our religion and we're rather defenseless if we don't know them we have we have to know some things if we're going to get on in life well uh you don't trust a mechanic who doesn't know the brake line from the transmission and uh, nor should you trust yourself if you don't know the difference between um, basic doctrines and basic heresies. And right now we live in a sea of heresies. Mm. Wow. Yep. And you know what? That, that's This is how much God loves us, right, Ryan? You know, he's, he's given us scripture. He's given us um, the catechism of the Catholic Church. He's given us the magisterium. We can figure all of this out pretty easily. And I'm always in awe of Catholics that seem to be confused about really basic mm -hmm. teachings, whether that's on abortion, whether that's on this, you know, the new phenomena of transgenderism. Mm -hmm. This is not complicated. Mm -hmm. You know, this is, yep. this is um, meat and potatoes Catholicism. We don't have to reinvent the wheel mm -hmm. because all of this has been settled for us a long time ago. We just need to go and execute the game plan. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of our, our, uh, Gentlemen that listen to the podcast, they can relate to that because they're sports fans and that's what you got to do. You got to execute the game plan. It's all laid out for us. It's actually a pretty simple game. Mm -hmm. And when we start complicating things and we have the chaos, mm -hmm. 
Um, let's, uh, yeah, time's flying, Ryan, as I figured it would, this has been fantastic and I always, uh, love chatting with you, whether that's on the podcast or just uh, one-on-one with you, it's always great, but let's talk a little bit about even just encouraging parents and, uh, other, you know, young kids that are coming out of high school or discerning what their next steps are in life mm-hmm. to maybe think a little outside the box. I think we've got to be there as Catholics now, don't we? And as people of goodwill, we have non-Catholics that listen to this podcast and they're a blessing to, to me and to, and to our church too. So uh, that think very much along the lines of where we're at. Maybe that conventional road of going to university or college, that seems to be what uh, all the high school counselors, you know, they push kids towards. It's kind of like the system, right? mm-hmm. You're just feeding people into it. And I'm not saying that that's all bad because uh, you and I, Ryan, have both gone through those conventional ways of going to, to university in our, in our past as well. Mm-hmm. But there are some other options, right, Ryan, especially when it comes to forming our intellect and, um, and building in our spiritual life and our relationship with God, what he wants our vocation to be, uh, that we should be always challenging ourselves and asking God, what is our, what is your will for our life today, uh, tomorrow, next year? Mm-hmm. Liberal arts, liberal arts going to college, going to a place like Newman Theological College. Mm-hmm. What are some things that that you're working on right now? They said you're you got a, your life is full, but this is something you're very passionate about. I know a lot of your colleagues are as well. So maybe mm-hmm. talk to us a little bit about that as we close. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Uh, very wise words. Absolutely. We cannot live conventional lives. Conventional lives will take us off uh, on a con- uh, conveyor belt down to nowhere. Uh, this is just the state of our culture as it happens to be. So we have to be deliberate and thoughtful, especially parents as they have kids who are going towards the the time when they need to launch. So kids who are 15, 16, 17, 18. Um, here's, a, here's a scary stat first, then I'll say something really nice. Uh, bad stat, you take um, out of 100 kids in Alberta, but this is true in most other places in Canada and the US. So it's roughly uh, appropriate. So about one out of 10 kids go who are grade 12 go to church in uh, at this point okay you go go to university and you take those 10 kids and within about 18 months seven out of 10 of those kids are not going to church any longer so in other words only 10 percent are going roll them off into university and all of a sudden you've lost 70 percent of that 10 percent. so you're left with with only a couple you know there's there's a there are cheaper ways to lose your faith like like golly just mm. uh, you know send them send them to Banff for six months or uh, you know, down to Vegas. I don't know. Why university? Uh, parents should think very seriously, is this the path for my my son or daughter? Um, young men in particular are finding it almost impossible to launch well. It shouldn't be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Um, one thing to consider if you're, if you're at that phase of life, you're 17, 18, 19, or if you're a parent with kids that age, uh, consider sending them away for a year where they do something hard and they have to make their faith their own. They have to make sacrifices. They have to get bloodied up a little bit. Here are some ideas. Send them to NET. Send them to hmm. uh, St. Therese, which is a, a school of formation in Saskatchewan. Um, help uh, Send them on some kind of missions trip with an organization that you love and trust or consider sending them for the guys uh, to to a seminary for a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, some kind of formation. In other words, don't just roll out of high school into college or into even, even into a job. Be deliberate and thoughtful. If you're not, the conveyor belt's leading us in the wrong way. Um, among those kids who like college, yeah, here at Newman's a, a little college in Edmonton, Alberta, in Canada. And yeah, we're doing great things. Uh, it's not for everybody, but what we've done is we've started a great books program a couple of years ago. So these are programs where you're not reading textbooks. You're not we're not in the business of indoctrination. This is this is not uh, woke university. Uh, this is we believe in the intellect. We believe there is such a thing as truth, and the intellect is the highest gift that we have. And so, the more we know truth, the more we, uh, in fact, fulfill our nature. The more we're happy. <laughs> it's a joyful work. Liberal education is meant to liberate us, so that when you come through it you're capable of acting decisively and charitably and wisely in whatever field you go into if it's business law education homemaking whatever yes Mm -hmm. so my recommendation to the parents is always do something hard make the kid do something tough so that their faith has to be their own if you're going to send them to college 
then se consider sending them to a place in Canada that the three places I recommend are Our Lady Suit of Wisdom in Ontario. Uh, you get a, a wonderful formation there, great community. There's a little school uh, in Redeemer Pacific, it used to be called Redeemer Pacific College, attached to Trinity Western, that's in British Columbia, mm -hmm. or Newman here, we're in Alberta. Uh, and and uh, frankly, I wouldn't I wouldn't send a kid anywhere else. Uh, I, I've, got, I've got 10 kids of my own, and those are their options. Uh, if they want to go to college. Now, getting your technical formation, obviously that's something different. But in those early years, so, you know, 17 through 20, you know, golly, you're, everything's up for grabs for young people. And, and uh, they, need to, they need to immerse themselves in a group of young, with other young like-minded people who love God, who are struggling to understand their faith and live it out with uh, manly um, resolve or womanly resolve, they also need a little bit of intellectual formation. Otherwise, what you're doing is you're sending them into a battlefield where there are tanks coming your way with brooms in their hands. It's not going to look pretty in the end. So they need something more that's going to teach them how to reconcile faith and reason, get them reading some of these great books like the, the you know, reading Homer, the uh, Augustine, Dante, Shakespeare. Why not? Uh, this is our page. This is our heritage. We should be mm. we should be uh, in touch with the best of the best. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we think we think of liberal arts. We think of uh, we got to just make the Catholic or the term liberal a Catholic term again. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> no sense. No sense does this have to do with with a no, political no, no, no. party. No, it's exactly. It's, thanks, thanks for yeah, libertas. But it's, it's you know what I mean when people hear that word. I know that one time I think I related this story on our podcast recently too. Somebody said. Uh, um, the, the way I my political ideology is, he, he says, you remind me of a classical liberal, and I, and I was very offended by that. Mm -hmm. if not, I mean, outwardly, I wasn't angry or raging mm -hmm. at him. I just thought it was. Then I actually took. And then he's like, "Well, let me explain to you what I mean." And I was like, "Okay, now I understand." Because the first thing we think of liberal, we think, politics. especially if you're a practicing Christian, you yeah, think yeah, politics, yeah. right? Yeah. Exactly. But this is, this is fantastic, Ryan. This has been outstanding. I want to talk about the book just really quickly, make sure we give a, a plug for you because it's a fantastic book. It's called Thinking as Though God Exists, Newman on Evangelizing the Nons. Ryan, where can our listeners pick up this book? Well, I suppose wherever you buy other books. Unfortunately, <laughs> now that's online. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, and I know, and you and I are probably on the same page. We don't want to necessarily plug the big distributors of the books but maybe if if you don't mind it would probably be wouldn't be a, a horrible idea to maybe give a little uh yeah. plug to the uh the guys that published it yeah, for exactly you. so angelical press yeah you can order it through them you can also if you're in alberta you could pick up a copy here at newman we'll have some there and uh and anywhere else that you buy them uh, perfect yes uh cardinal collins i'm very proud to have uh collins who's the former archbishop here of edmonton he he wrote me a very a kind and generous endorsement to the back of the book um george weigel also uh was generous to give right. it an endorsement to someone worth paying attention to if you're inter interested in evangelical catholicism uh father aiden nichols he's he's one of my former teachers at oxford he's he's kind of like a walking thomas aquinas uh so i was very very uh grateful to have him uh, say a kind word and also one of our friends uh both of our friends brian holdsworth mm -hmm. he's a catholic mm -hmm. apologist he's many other things his father and and uh husband and uh, has his own company connected to marketing but um, many people know him as an apologist and a podcaster mm -hmm. he was also uh, someone who um, has uh, given his endorsement to the book so I'm very grateful for these uh, uh, good people who who thought it worth reasoning uh, reading at least a little bit my wife read it mm -hmm. over Lent this was her Lenten penance so I'm <laughs> grateful to her too that's so good and it's a good reminder for us as well to realize that we've got you know, it's, it's, you know, sometimes you look in the outside world, that's a little scary for people right now. I get that. And, uh, but we've got a lot of, uh, a lot of people that are really trying to live out the gospel values, trying to live out their Catholic faith and, mm -hmm. and really want to help each other out on this journey to eternal life. So let's never forget that we're not alone in this journey. We have a lot of great teammates mm -hmm. and, uh, let's help each other out on this journey. Dr. Ryan Topping, it's been a, an absolute blessing. Thank you very much for having, uh, taking the time to, to be with us here. Thank you for having me, David. This was a lovely and delightful conversation. Well, a big thanks again to Dr. Ryan Topping for joining us in this episode of the podcast. And again, that book, Thinking as Though God Exists, Newman on Evangelizing the Nons. 
And now is the time to be engaging with all people and really learning our faith so that we can share it with others. I think that is just so important. And it reminds me of the great uh, venerable Archbishop Sheen in the quote, unless souls are saved, nothing is saved. And it really is true. You know, we often see the titles before people's names, the the PhD or, or uh, some letters that are uh, symbolic of the degree that they have received or a doctorate. But really the letters that we want to have in front of our names at the end of our lives are ST as in saints. That's all that's going to matter at the end is the state of our eternal souls. And it's exciting to take this journey with you. And it's exciting to hear from you. So many of you that have reached out to me from all over the world. What a fantastic universal church that we belong to. It's great. Follow the Catholic Connect podcast on Twitter, on Facebook, and listen to us wherever you find your fine podcasts. And remember to keep me in your prayers as I pray for you as well. So if we're going to be evangelizing the nuns, like uh, St. John Henry Newman is wanting us to do, our friend Ryan Topping would like us to do, and of course our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ wants us to do, we got to be living life in a state of grace. So what does that mean? Confession, everybody. Catholics, we know we got to go at least three times every year. Every Lent, every Advent, and at any time you're in a state of mortal sin, don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. God bless. I'll chat with you very soon.